Turn with me tonight to 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse number 18 is a familiar verse in our text tonight. 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 18. I'll read the text for you. You may remain seated and we'll jump right into the message. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. I want to give you a very practical challenge tonight. I would like to ask you uh, to write a few things down as we go through the message tonight. And don't typically ask you to do that. Some of you enjoy doing that. Um, but I'd like to ask many of you, if you would, to pull out something if you can to write with. If not, you can go back and watch the video, write the notes down later, I suppose. I won't give you a lot to write down, but I want to give you a, a list of words. Some of them will be familiar to you already. Some of you could probably give the words uh, as I'm going to review some things. And um, we need to be reminded sometimes, don't we? Uh, but I want to speak to you from this text, Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. The Bible says, but growing grace... And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to preach to you tonight on this subject, three things to jumpstart your personal growth in 2023. Three things to jumpstart your personal growth in 2023. You do want to grow this year, don't you? You do want to grow, right? Amen. I hope so. Father, bless now, please, the teaching and the preaching of thy word tonight to the hearts of thy people. Lord, for the encouragement, for the edification of the body of Christ, so the work of the ministry can be done, so that people can be saved, so that Jesus Christ can be lifted up. And Lord, we're your, we're your instruments, um, we're your hands, we're your feet. And uh, so uh, grow us tonight, I pray, and in this coming year, in Jesus' name, amen. The little phrase, grow in grace, the verb there, grow, is present active imperative. In other words, grammatically, a present active means a continual action. An imperative is, of course, a command. And so what we have in this phrase, grow in grace, is we have a command to continue in this growing in grace. All right? For example, the doctor says to you, you need to eat more vegetables. He doesn't mean go home one time and eat a can of corn. What he means is eat more vegetables and eat more vegetables and eat more vegetables and eat more vegetables and eat more vegetables. And then he says you need to exercise more. He doesn't mean go home and do 10 push-ups and you're done. He means go home and exercise tomorrow and then exercise the next day and exercise the next day and exercise the next day. And by the way, that's why I don't go to doctors. I don't like people telling me what to do. But anyway, when they, when they give you advice as such, uh, and uh, when the dentist says floss, uh, I always obey the dentist. I floss every time I go to the dentist's office. And uh, anyway, but no, uh, but, but the dentist is saying you need to floss or whatever. Then that, that, he means floss and floss and floss and floss, and that's an imperative. That's a command, and it's a continual action, and thus it is present active imperative. God said grow in grace. Grow in grace and grow in grace and grow in grace and keep growing and keep growing and keep growing is God's command. Now, what's the option? The option is to backslide. Backsliding, as we've said many times, backsliding is not positional. Backsliding is directional. Somebody say, well, he's a backslider. He's not going to heaven. First of all, you got bad doctrine there. You're saved by the grace of God, and God's grace doesn't change because you have poor character. If it did, none of us are going to heaven, all right? God's promises rest on his name, and he's got a good name. All right, he's going to keep his word. We don't deserve it. We never have. We don't now, but he's going to keep his word. Hallelujah. So backsliding 
is a biblical term. But it is, as well as words, is self-defining. It is backsliding and sliding back. <laughs> and, and so it, is a, it denotes a direction that one is going. The most spiritual people in this room tonight might be the backslider. Backsliding isn't, isn't how spiritual you are compared to someone else. Backsliding is where you are compared to where you were. Now, if you're not going forward in your Christian life, you're going back, backwards in your Christian life, no one is static in the Christian life. You don't, nobody exists in the spiritual vacuum. Something's going to enter your life. You quit church, something's going to take its place. You quit reading and praying, something's going to take its place. You're not, you're, 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 you're either growing or you are dying. And so the command is to grow in grace and grow in grace and grow in grace and keep on growing. I'm going to give a very simple message tonight. Three areas. I, we give a lot. I got three on my mind and heart. Been on my mind and heart for several months. Number one, prayer. Number one, prayer. I want, to, I want you to write down nine words, if you would. And this is not original with me. I was taught this as a young man. And I have taught this here many times. But I'm, I'm telling you, if you want to grow in your life, every aspect of your life, you want to grow in your marriage, you want to grow in your child rearing, you want to grow in your uh, your professional life, you what area of life you want to grow in, you want the first thing you can do, the greatest thing you could do, to grow in your Christian life or any area of your life for that matter in 2023, is to hit the reset button on your prayer life, Amen. and say, God, I want to get serious about my prayer life. I want to walk with you daily. We were made for this. God made us for fellowship with Him. And every believer, listen, if, you, if we're not connected to God in prayer, then we're backsliding, our heart's going to get cold, our, we're going to become indifferent, our, our, our value system will change, our desires will change. Instead of enjoying the things of God, we'll start begrudging the things of God. Instead of anxious to do more for God, we'll start thinking someone's taking advantage of us. And it all begins... And ends with the prayer life. And so I want to challenge you. Hit the reset button on your prayer life. Let me give you nine important words as it regards prayer. Number one is praise. Praise. Now I understand the word prayer technically speaking means to ask. You go in front of a judge you say we pray the court. It means you ask the court. You make a petition to the court. But we're talking about every facet of communion with God. And so Prayer is actually asking. Dr. Rice wrote the fabulous book, Prayer is Asking and Receiving. I understand that, but we're going to talk about prayer in the sense of all of our communion with God. And I would suggest that you start with praise. Now, what is praise? Again, praise is thanking God for what is done. Oh, listen, I was listening, we were praying with a man a little while ago, and there was some praise going on, and some thanksgiving. And uh, God's been good. Amen. God's been good to us. Better than we deserve. Amen. I got a home to live in. And uh, I have a, a, a pillow to put my head on tonight, and a bed to rest in tonight. And I've got some heat, and I've got some air conditioning, and I've got a vehicle to drive tonight, and I've had a, a, a delicious meal uh, today, and I have a a, a wife that loves me and is loyal to me. I have, I have children, and uh, most of whom are, are good. And uh, I have some wonderful children. Amen. Man, I have a I have a grandson. By the way, did you know that I'm blessed tonight? Anyway, and uh, I've got a great church family and so many Christian friends and so many of God's people. And I enjoy the fellowship of God's people. And I love to sing the songs of God. I enjoyed singing with you tonight and listening to those praise the Lord with your lips tonight and hearing our young people and thinking about their lives. Oh, God's been good to me. He's been good to you. He's been good to this church. Been good to our homes and families, hasn't he? 
He deserves to be thanked. He deserves to be thanked. Write the next word down, worship. Worship's a little more intimate than praise. Praise is I'm thanking God for all the good things He's done for me, but worship is I'm adoring God. I'm bragging on God. I'm thanking God for who He is. Now, I might say this about my wife. Oh, I tell you what, now, Miss Chick, boy, she's a good cook. And you know she's so kind. You know, she uh, she washes all my clothes, and she irons my clothes for me. And uh, she cleans our house for us. And, ah, oh, she's so kind. And so so that, that I'm bragging on what she does. But, but worship is who she is. So when I say, uh, thank you, sweetheart, for making a good meal today. Thank you for cleaning my clothes. Thank you for uh, taking care of the house. Thank you for being the taxi service for the family and getting the girls back and forth. Uh, now then, if I say, sweetheart, you're beautiful. You're so thoughtful. You're so kind. You're so loving. You're so patient. You see, that's a little more intimate, isn't it? Now, you know what God deserves? God wants to be thanked, but He deserves to be worshipped too. We sing those worship songs. Oh, sing it. How I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because He first loved Find you some songs of worship that you enjoy that knit your heart to the Lord and sing them. Go along and worship the Lord and, and sing to the Lord. There's hymns that touch my heart and I often sing Love with everlasting love Led by grace this love to know Gracious Spirit from above Thou hast taught me it is so All oh, this pure and perfect peace All oh, this transport all divine And a love that cannot cease I am His and He is mine And a love that cannot cease I am His and He is mine All those verses are so beautiful in that hymn Get you a hymn you love and sing it to the Lord He likes it And you know what it'll do? It'll warm your heart can I say this? Don't go through your praise time. Don't go through your worship time glibly. Let the corner of your eye moisten when you brag on your Savior. Let your heart become tender when you love on the Lord and worship Him and exalt Him. Write this next word down, confession. Confession, that's a tough word. It means to say the same. A confession is not an apology. Confession is getting honest. I could say, um, uh, uh, Mr. Cook, I'm sorry. I, 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 I apologize. I, I'm, I'm really sorry. Now, that's an apology, and that's good and well. We need to apologize. But if I say, Mr. Cook, I'm sorry. I stole your sucker, and I ate it. Now, I confessed. I confessed. When you look at your kids and you say, now, what do you do? Nine times out of ten, you, you, you know what, well, if you're a mother, because moms are omniscient, but you know what they did for the most part, but you want to hear them say it. You want to hear them say, I said a bad word, I uh, disobeyed, whatever it is, because you want to know, they know, 
They have faced what they've done. You, uh, if, you, if you just bury something, if you just say, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and, and it's just a bunch of apologies, then the issue's not, you get the issue cared for. Confess the issue, take ownership, name what it was without excuse. Just name it, confess it as sin, and receive the forgiveness that's already available for you. It's already available. If he said, confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. You know, he didn't even say confess and ask. He said, confess. And God said, here you go, here's the forgiveness you need. And just receive it by faith. You're forgiven. Amen. Forgiven. That means confession. If you don't do that, if you don't confess, listen, to me, we, we apologize quite a bit. But we don't confess. Which means that we got stuff piling up in our lives. You know why a lot of people are stressed? Because they haven't confessed. They're stressed because they've got a bunch of stuff that's still on their heart. They've not named and gotten it off their uh, off the record. They, 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 their, their sin account is getting longer. And, uh, and, and they're carrying those things. And the, the blood's already sufficient. The forgiveness is already available. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. A lot of people use empty apologies with, with each other. You hurt somebody deeply. You say, well, I'm sorry. And you're thinking if you're the one that hurt, yeah, for what? I wonder how many times we go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for all the bad things I've done. God's saying, what bad things? It's not that he doesn't know. Adam, where art thou? You don't think God knew where Adam was? He knew where Adam was. Adam, where art thou? Uh, uh. (laughs) God wants us to be clean, and we we need a bath every day. Amen. One time the rock was smitten. Not, don't speak to it the second time, Moses. The rock smitten once. And Moses marred the picture by smiting the rock a second time. You don't have to steal. The rock's been smitten. Jesus died once for all. All you got to do is speak to the rock. Amen. Go to the rock of thy salvation. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. What, what a rotten attitude I've had. Please forgive me. Write down the next word, daily bread. Daily bread. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said this, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now that's not a prayer to be quoted. I don't think there's anything wrong with quoting it. I do think there's something wrong with vain repetition. And I suppose only you and your heart know if you say that in vain, repeat it in vain. I think a lot of people do repeat it in vain. Uh, it's not a rabbit's foot. Uh, it's a verse and it's a beautiful prayer. There's nothing wrong with using that prayer, I don't think. But it needs to be from our hearts. But it is first and foremost... He said, after this manner, pray. He didn't say after these words, pray. He said, after this manner, pray. Meaning that that is a pattern for prayer. And in the pattern that the Lord gave us for prayer, he said this. He said, say this, give us this day our daily bread. What is God saying? I think he's saying every single day we ought to recognize that we breathe because of him, we eat because of him, we live because of him, and every day we ought to say, Lord, take care of us today, keep us safe today, feed our families today, and look after us today. You say, well, we're doing good. Nobody's sick in our family. Today, Lord, keep us safe. Today, keep us healthy. Today, keep us in your will. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's Tennessee. The Tennessee is we don't pray unless we need something. And the Bible says, here you are, you think you're full and, 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 and you need nothing. And the truth is, you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. You need to be clothed, you need to be fed, and you think, and we're satisfied because our tummies are full and uh, we're warm and so forth like that. We don't need anything. But oh, how we need Him. Every day, daily bread. Next, others. Write that word down, others. Others. Every day, talk to God about another person. The Bible said, kings and all that are in authority. 
May I ask you, Dad, are you praying over your children? Are you weeping over your children? Are you interceding for your children? Dad, as head of your home, are you praying for your wife? And if you're not, who is? Who is? Ladies, if you're not praying a hedge of protection around your husband, who is? Who is? I think, I think we, ought to, we ought to pray for one another. And, and praying for others, I think a season of prayer where you schedule that and you have a list of people you pray for, and I think that's important, but I think it's a good idea to pray for people as you go throughout the day. Get a phone call. Get a text message. I love some, I'm going to go through my text messages, get my phone down in a season of prayer, and go back, and usually I can glance at the name, remember what the message was about, and I can pray about that. Many times it's a prayer request to be connected to that. Well, get your, get your you folks that like to stay on your phones like a lot of the rest of us like to stay on our phones. Uh, anyway, get your phone down. Make it a prayer list. Amen? Go through it. Go through those, all those messages you've got and all those people that communicate with you. And, 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 and just don't say anything. You don't have to message them. Just go through pray for them. We ought to pray for others. Write this word down. Love, love, love. The, the three greatest things, these next three things, I think are the most important things we could pray for and have taken priority in my prayer life for many, many years. Love. I crave for God to use me as a vessel of His love. I'm selfish. I'm flesh. I like me. <laughs> Do you like me? <laughs> I like me. This, this psychology, psychiatry has got so many things messed up. And this nonsense of learning to love yourself is one of the most blatant. The Bible says no man ever yet hated his own flesh. The devil told you that. The problem is not you need to learn to love yourself. The problem is that you need to learn, as the Apostle Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. The truth is this, I am in love with my flesh. You don't believe me? Slam your thumb with the hammer. I don't care. You're going to care. Now, what, 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 if, if, if I, in my selfish human nature, if I just go about and say, I just love, I'm going to love you with all my heart. And you can say that sincerely. And I'm not diminishing that as a thought or as a statement or as something you want to do. But I say this, if any human being says, I love you with all my heart, you will fall short of the love that God requires you to give your brother or sister or family member. Because the Bible said we're supposed to love like Christ. And that's agape love. And that's, that's a love, a self-denying love. And that does not come naturally. That is a supernatural love. And why we ought to pray for the love of God. Because what our homes need, what our marriages need, what the lost people need of us is a heart full of agape, of the love that's described in John 3.16, for God so agape to love the world, self-denying. He didn't come because it felt Gucci-goo. He came to sacrifice himself on a cross because he loved us, and that's the kind of love we need. And many, many times, all over and over and again through these years, I said, God, I pray if nothing else can be accomplished tomorrow, 
when folks come on the property, when they walk in the door and they sit in the pews, help them to feel they're in a place where they feel the love of God through his people. I want that. Do you want that? Ask for it. Wisdom is the next word. Write it down. Wisdom. We've taken weeks and weeks already. Coming up on a year, by the way, in February, mid-February, I think it was. We started. We're, we're studying the book of wisdom. But we need wisdom. We need wisdom. We have so many foolish ideas in our head. Things we learned that we got picked up from this place and that place. And we neglect our Bibles and don't understand how God wants us to think. And he said we're transformed by the renewing of our minds in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Our lives transformation takes place because we learn a new way of thinking, renewing of our minds, a new way of thinking. And that is God's thinking in his word. And oh, how we need wisdom. Can I tell you something? Boy, you need with you men in business, you, 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 you folks in business, you need wisdom, don't you? You need wisdom. Those of you rearing your children, we need wisdom, don't we? We need wisdom in our homes, in our marriages. Fellas, we need some wisdom about how to treat our wives. Ladies, uh, you need wisdom uh, in, in relating to your husband and relating to your children. We need God's wisdom to make decisions. One foolish decision can alter the course of our lives. Pray for wisdom, number three, power. Number three, these are, the I think, the most important words. Love, wisdom, and power when it comes to our prayer life. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. The verse just before that talks about Jesus Christ and power. The word power is used. It's the word uh, exousia, which means authority. But when he says, ye sh- uh, shall receive power, it's the word dunamis, which means dynamite power. He's talking about the mighty power of God given to us. God's Spirit comes to live inside of us the moment we get saved. We get saved. But, but we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit came and, and indwelt the believers after, the, after uh, Jesus Christ ascended. The Holy Spirit then came, as he promised in John 14 and 16, they would come and dwell with them and be in them. And so that uh, the Holy Spirit came and He came in mighty power. But we find all the way through the book of Acts, God's Spirit coming yet again and again and again. Listen, we, the Bible says in John chapter 7 uh, uh, that out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, just like a, a river. If you if you dam up a river on one end and let the water flow, it won't be long to you have a dry river bed. If you if you dam up the, the lower end, then you'll have you a, a, a pond. A, a, a river needs an intake and it needs an out, out output. And, and so you and I as a Christian are live begging for the Spirit to fill me, control me, uh, give me that power, and then go out. And, and use that power to help to serve, to witness uh, and, 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 and come back again. Oh, give me your power and then go out again. Now listen, you're, you're either going to be a dry riverbed or a stinky pond if you don't understand this concept of the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of sour Christians. Take in, take in, take in. Take in, take in, take in. And a lot of churches get split over sour Christians. Listen, if you've got a bad attitude, you know what you need to do? Get you a, a handful of gospel tracts and go out tomorrow and pass out gospel tracts and witness, 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 witness till God gives you somebody saved. Amen? And when he does that, do it again. <laughs> Amen? The last word, just write the word. Uh, it's a conclusion. I'm going to actually... <laughs> I said ten words. What is it? Nine words. I'm going to give you three. The ninth is going to be three things. And I call this a conclusion. Uh, three things. Number one, claim a promise. Number two, yield your will. Number three, exalt the Lord. Number one, claim a promise. Number two, yield your will. 
Number three, exalt the Lord. Let me demonstrate. I've prayed. And this, these, these words here, you can pray 15 minutes with this little outline. You can pray now in 15 minutes. You can pray three or four hours if you want to with this little outline. But you come down, you finish your time of prayer, and you've, 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 you've worshiped, praised and worshiped the Lord, confessed your sins, you've prayed for others, you've sought for His love, His wisdom, His power, and so forth, and daily bread. And now you're, you're coming to a conclusion. Here's what I would recommend you do. Now, Lord, you said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, you're a God of your word, aren't you? You said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and, you shall, and it, it shall be, uh, 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 be opened to you. And my favorite, you said, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Get a promise and claim it. Get a promise and claim it. And say, God, this is your word. This is what you said. And I stand upon it. And I'm looking forward to what you're going to do because you promised to hear an answer. And then do what Jesus did. Yield your will. Now, Lord, James 4, 2 is the reference. Lord, if I've asked anything amiss, forgive me. Not my will, but thine be done. You know... Sometimes we get something in our head we want. We ask and ask and ask and ask and ask, but we don't yield. And you have, you have to be careful about that because Matthew 7 says you, you ask enough, he'll give it to you. And, and it might be after you get it, you say, I didn't want it. Let God decide what you need. Amen. And then last, give him the last little bit of glory. Amen. And to him that's able to keep us from falling, to present us faultless for the, his glory, before his presence. I can't say it, but it's beautiful. Amen. <laughs> I'm finding you some little verses. Just take a moment and say, God, I love you. Worship Him. Give Him the last bit, a little bit of glory. Let me give a second area of your life. Three areas that help you jumpstart personal growth in 2023. Number one, prayer life. Number two, your church life. Your church life. Your church life. In Hebrews chapter 10, turn with it. It's such a familiar verse, but let's read it again. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. comes on the tail end of the verses that Brother Cook read for us a while ago, preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper. But it says, in that context, keep, keep in mind the context, we just read most of the chapter. In that context, he says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Let us be considerate of one another. To provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, that means encouraging, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I got news for you, the day is approaching. (laughs) Consideration of others, love for others. Good works, involvement in the work, not forsaking, becoming faithful in the assembling of ourselves together. May I say God wants, it's God's plan, it's God's design that God's people come together in consideration of one another and assemble together for encouragement, for strength, and more and more we need this. Isn't, the, isn't it just, I'm 52 years old. And it just seems like the world is changing at warp speed. 
the things that are being thrust upon the children of this day by society, by entertainment, and by some people in, in the educational system who want to twist and pervert the minds of little children. All the world is changing at warp speed. And so much the more as you see the world changing and this great falling away, so much the more as you see people eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and living their life as if there's no big concern and Sunday's just another day like every other day. So much the more, so much the more when people, churches are cutting back their schedules. We don't want to inconvenience anymore, anybody. And so, so much the more and, 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 and expect so much the more, so much the more the Bible says. Listen. The coming of Christ comes closer. We need the local church more than we ever have in our lives. David said, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. In 1960, more than six in ten Americans were church members. Church attendance peaked. And though our, our population has continued to increase since then, our attendance at church has decreased. North Carolina blue laws prohibited the sale of alcohol on Sunday and limited store hours so as not to compete with the morning church services. I mean, remember those days. Remember those days. In 1917, the New York Giants and Cincinnati Reds played the first Sunday game ever at New York's home field. After the game, both managers were arrested for violating the blue laws. Once the last of the blue laws preventing Sunday baseball were gone, most teams schedule games regularly. And today, Major League Baseball schedules a full slate of games every Sunday during the season, including Sunday nights. Minor leagues do the same thing. By the end of the 60s, many and most blue laws were be- being revised or eliminated altogether. September the 24th, 1978, the New England Patriots defeated the Oakland Raiders in the first Sunday night football game. That was the seed that became the colossal cultural phenomenon it is today that we call Sunday night football with an average viewership of 18.5 million on Sunday night while we're sitting in church. When I was at Caleb and Melody's wedding, uh, say over the weekend, uh, to uh, preach for uh, Melody's dad. And we stay at the hotel, and you know, we walk out the door of the hotel in the evening and line all the way down the hall this way, all the way down this hall, hall this way, were cleats, soccer cleats, outside of every door. I guess they didn't want their stinky shoes in the room, so they left them in the hallway. And Sunday morning, I, I, Sunday morning we come down and get a little breakfast, and I just, I, I mean, that's my Sunday morning routine is not a hotel room. We were out of routine, and that place is packed. And I, I just remember thinking, all these people, not a single one of them has church on their radar. We're all dressed up, ready to go, walking through, uh, walking through the, uh, the hotel there and to go to church. And families, children, Young people, lots of junior age kids, lots of teenagers. Just another day. It did not used to be that way in our nation, folks. 
I remember a teenage boy lived up here off of uh, Strider Street, up here just a couple miles north of the church. He got saved, he got baptized, he got excited about the things of the Lord, and started visiting with the bus workers on Saturday and came came to uh, the services and came to the youth things and so forth like that. He was a really good baseball player. In the 10th grade, he had folks coming and making offers to him when he was in the 10th grade. His dad said, son, I want you to play on a travel team. He said, dad, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to stay in church. He said, son, you're going, to play, you're, going to play, you're going to play on this team. He said, I don't want to. He said, you're going to. And he did. And he got out of church. And he got away from the Lord. And though he had college offers, he quit before he left high school. He quit baseball. He said, I'm sick of baseball. I don't want to play baseball. He was very talented. I see some of his family member here and there in town on occasion. I don't know where the young man is. I hope he's living for the Lord wherever he is, but I don't know. I haven't seen him for years. I remember Jimmy Clark uh, preaching. I think it was in this pulpit. He said it. Not somewhere I heard him preach. He said, my boys played baseball. They played Little League. They played baseball. He said, but everybody on the team, coach included, knew we went, we went to church on Sunday, on Wednesday night. Church started at 730, 715. My, one of my boys is a pitcher. 7.15, he comes walking off the mound. The other one comes walking out of the field. Why? Because we'll go to church on Wednesday night. Amen. 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 I remember Brother Hiles telling a story about a 17-year-old young man. And he played fast pitch softball, and he was a good, good pitcher. And um, maybe been 18 at the time. But anyway, he it was during the wartime, and he, he had a job at, at, at one company, and 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 you couldn't you couldn't change jobs during wartime without uh, permission. And so, uh, anyway, his his boss would have to release him to get another job. Another, I think it was a railroad Dallas railroad company said, "Come play for us. We come work for us because we need a pitcher for our softball team." And uh, so anyway, he went to his boss and said, they want me to go over there and work. He said, you know, I listen to you whistle around here and you whistle gospel songs and you've got a good testimony and I'm a Christian. I'm going to give you the, that waiver. And so he went over to the Dallas Railroad Company thing, and, they, and, they, and they played and had a very successful season. It came down to the end and, and, uh, and, they, and they were in the championship game. And he was the only pitcher. It was a championship game and they scheduled on Sunday night. And an 18-year-old boy said, Coach, who was a deacon in church, by the way. You know I go to church on Sunday night. He said, come on now, Jack, listen. This is a, this is a one time I know we all go to church. We're faithful. Yes, we understand that. But this is, this is a one time. This is a championship game. He said, Coach, you know I go to church on Sunday night. I'm called to preach. How am I going to be a preacher one day? I skip church and expect people to come hear me preach one day. I got to go to church. Coach said, come on, look, just reconsider. His own sister, his own his older sister, said, look, Jack, it, it, it's just this one time. It won't hurt anything for you to miss this one time. And here's what he told his sister. He said, sister, it wouldn't hurt you, but it hurt me. And that bothered her so bad she went and got under conviction. About a week later, she got saved. God used that to touch her heart, to prick her heart. The team lined up on the curb in front of the church house when a teenage boy walked up the steps to go to church on Sunday night, they cursed him, they swore at him. One of the young men on the team took a softball and just swung it as, through it as hard as he could and slammed against the door of the church as a teenage boy walked in and sat down to be in church on Sunday night instead of being on the ball field. 
They told me as a 15-year-old, the first job I had at Domino's Pizza, I told them, my dad told them, said, now you go to church, we go to church, you'll work on Wednesday night and so forth, teenager. And I said, yes, sir, I understand that. And I, I told the boss that when they hired me. I said, I can't work on Sunday or Wednesday because uh, I mean, church times can't do that. And he said, that's no problem. Super Bowl Sunday came around and said, everybody, announcement, everybody works on Super Bowl Sunday. I said, uh, boss, you remember we had a little agreement. He said, everybody works on Super Bowl Sunday. So I worked through the weekend that Saturday. I thought, well, that's it. It's been nice working here. And uh, and uh, didn't didn't I went to church on Sunday. Amen. And uh, by Tuesday, they were, hey, where are you at? <laughs> what do you mean where I'm at? Why aren't you at work? Oh, great. I still got a job. I'll be there. <laughs> Amen. I remember my dad telling the story of a lobster fisherman up in New Hampshire, his first pastor, and uh, how old were you? Probably 25, 6, 25, 26, something like that. Pastor in a church in Kingston, New Hampshire, had lobster fishermen. And he challenged, challenged to be faithful to church. And the lobster fisherman came to him in the church and said, you don't understand, Pastor. If we don't if we don't catch lobster seven days a week when it's time to catch lobster, you, you can't make a living. You, you, when you when you got to be out there, you got to be out there. And he said, well, I'm just... Tell you what I think the Bible wants you to know. He said, I don't, I don't understand it, but I'm going I'm to trust you and trust what you're telling us, and I'm going to do it. And that lobster fisherman went to church on Sunday and fished lobster six days a week, and nobody in town could figure out how the guy fishing six days a week was catching more lobster than the rest of the crowd fishing seven days a week. Shift work has made it extremely difficult for many of God's people to be faithful to all the services. I understand that. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm trying to illustrate this is where our society is. We went in 1960 when six out of ten people were members of the church and attended church. Now then, less than three out of ten people in America attend church even once a month. I remember Brother Jeff, Miss Dana, started coming to church, and Brother Jeff is a good Methodist now. He wasn't used to this go to church all the time thing. But I remember going to their house, sit down with them, and said, let me give you a 30-day challenge. I said, come to every service for 30 days. And they made that decision together. And that was a lot of years ago, wasn't it? I remember when Brother Will Martin, where's Brother Will tonight? See him here? Up in, about, up in the crow's nest. I remember Brother Will came. And he got saved into Dr. Williams preaching and he came and he said, Pastor, he said, God's dealing with me. He said, I, you know, I'm gone a lot. I'm out of town. And he's hardworking and, and very and successful, of course, in his business and work. And we appreciate what he does for the Lord. But at that time in his life, he has gone a lot and just couldn't be in church much at all. And he said, God spoke to Mar, And he said, would you pray with me? I'm, I'm going to start quoting jobs locally. I'm turning down jobs that I could have, lucrative jobs on the road. I want to be in church. I want to be able to serve. And, and you know what God has done? God's honored that desire of his heart. God's done that for him. Isn't God good like that? It touches my heart when I see you men come in to church on Wednesday night in your work clothes. And those of us that have the blessed privilege to be on the church staff need to remember that these men and women who work long hours and come to church three times a week, and come to prayer meetings, and come to the bus meetings. We need to remember what they give. I remember Brother Alan Yance. Eating a supper in the kitchen. 
their vacation Bible school week. His wife make a little supper for him, and he sees his kids for the first time, and eat, eat a little food, and then get on his bus and go out and bring kids in for vacation Bible school. It can I tell you something? Those people that do travel, but I'm not. Listen, I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying anybody's a bad person. But they give a lot to do that. First of all, it's expensive. It costs, some of you know, some of you done it. It costs a lot of money. You put a lot of money in that. And you're gone. You leave early, you come home real late. Sounds like a bus worker on vacation Bible school week, doesn't it? The Bible said, A faithful man shall bound with blessings. The Bible said, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who, shall, who can find... The Bible said it's required. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Numbers 12, 7 said of Moses, he's faithful in all mine house. Do you know who started the church? Matthew 16, 18. Jesus. Do you know who the church is built on? Matthew 16, 18. You can say that if you want to. Jesus. You know who purchased the church? Acts 20, 28 with his own blood? Jesus. Do you know what the purchase price was? Acts twenty twenty eight, Jesus' blood. Do you know who the head of the church is? Ephesians one twenty two. Say it out loud, Jesus. Do you know who the sub- church is subject to? Ephesians five twenty four, Jesus. Do you know who loves the church? Ephesians five twenty five, Jesus. Do you know who gave himself for the church? Ephesians five twenty five, Jesus. Do you know who nourishes the church? Ephesians five twenty nine. Jesus. Do you know who cherishes the church? Ephesians 5.29. Jesus. Do you know who the church is getting married to? Uh, who the groom is? Revelation 21.9. Jesus. Amen. Now listen, you will struggle to be right with Jesus if you're not right with the church. You will always struggle to be right with Jesus if you're not right with His church. I want to challenge you to build some momentum in the early part of this year. The 30-day challenge for, I think, Brother Jeff and his family built some momentum. You get something going. You get a little, is it inertia? Is that what that is? What that is? You get a little something going, a little movement going, and it encourages more movement. Bad habits form themselves. Good habits must be intentional. Make up your mind you're going to be faithful to the house of God in 2023. Amen? You want to grow? Listen, you want to grow? You don't use you just be faithful to the house of God. Amen? Be faithful to the house of God. You say, well, i got a runny nose. Come on in in the back. We'll give you a box of tissues and you just let it run in there. Amen? I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm hungry. It bring you some peanuts if you need to. And just whatever. Look, I, let's be faithful. Amen? Let's be faithful. Third thing and last thing. Get a hold of our tongues. Three areas that will help jumpstart our Christian life our personal growth in 2023, our prayer life, our church life. Number three, get a hold of your tongue. Get a hold of your tongue. Turn to James chapter number three. James chapter number three. We won't spend just a moment or two on this and we'll be done for the night. But I want you to look at the familiar text once more with me. It's so powerful. It's so poignant. It's power-packed. James in chapter number three. Turn there with me if you would. James in chapter number three. James in chapter number 3. My brethren, be not many masters, 
knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in, the, in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they, are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. What the bit is in the horse's mouth, what the helm is to the great ship. Verse number 2 says, the tongue is to the whole body. Look at that verse again. Hey, listen, you got some character issues? Let me give you a jump start to good character. Get a hold of your tongue. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, and the things he says, the words he uses, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect, a complete, a mature man, and able also to bridle the whole body. If you can control your tongue, you can control your sleep habits. If you can control your tongue, you can control uh, 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 your... uh, 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 other habits of life. You can control your eating habits if you control your tongue. If you control your tongue, you can control your entire body. You can make your body be where it's supposed to be. Go where it's supposed to go. Do or not do what it should or should not do. And the kickstart to that, the Bible said, is get a hold of that tongue. You control the tongue. You can control the whole body. David said, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Psalm 38, I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that opened not its mouth. Listen, we want to be like Jesus. Sometimes Jesus, being like Jesus, keeping your mouth shut. You remember that? He answered not a word. Micah 7, 5, keep the doors of thy mouth. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of his tongue. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 for our last passage tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, a familiar text. Ephesians chapter number 4. Turn there. How can we jumpstart personal growth in 2023? Develop a prayer life. Build your life around the local church. Number three, get a hold of your tongue. Ephesians in chapter number 4, look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication... Proceed out of your mouth. Look at me just a minute. Let's just go ahead and settle something right now. How many of you are saved? Say amen. amen. God's people say amen. All right. Hey, listen. Listen. Biblical mandate. No more dirty talk. No more dirty. Teenagers, young people, children, no more dirty talk. By the way, mom, dad, if we're going to say no more dirty talk, then you're going to have to cut the dirty talk from filtering into their ears in your house. Okay. Don't say, don't say that, and then sit them down and let somebody teach them how to say it. That's not real smart. So let's just all say no more dirty talk. Can all God's people say amen to that? No, no more dirty talk. No more dirty talk. No more innuendos. No more bathroom jokes. Can you not find something else to laugh about? 
Clean it up. Let's clean it up. Amen? No corrupt communication. Proceed every mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Wait a minute. God said this. Your communication ought to edify. It means to build up. Let me ask a question. What are you doing with your words? What are your stories doing? They're building someone up. They're tearing them down. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. Circle that word grace. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor. You know what grace is? Grace is treating someone better than they've treated you. And the Bible said these words ought to be good words. They ought to be edifying words. And they should minister grace to those that hear. When people hear our speech, our speech ought to be filled with grace, meaning that we speak better to others than they would speak to us or of us. Amen? Look, just because someone bad mouth, you don't give you a right to bad mouth them. Right? No. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, meaning all that grieves the Spirit. If your words tear down, if your words are dirty, if your words don't minister grace, the Spirit is grieved. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption, that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. About ten years ago, I presented a message to you, and we called it a day of praise challenge. Probably nobody in this room remembers it. But anyway, it really happened. And uh, But I looked up those notes and read through them a little bit. It was from Psalm 71. And we just gave the challenge. Let's see if we can go a whole day where nothing that comes out of our mouth dishonors the Lord. See, if we can go a whole day, verse 8 talked about in that chapter, about it, all day long praising the Lord. Hey, you, you're having trouble with character in some area of your life. Keeping focus, keeping discipline, getting where you're supposed to be, your sleep habits. Get hold of your tongue. Go back and think again. Are my tongue, is my tongue building? Is my tongue sharp? Is my, my, my tongue a, a smart aleck smirking? Is my tongue uh, a, a negative? And you get a hold of your tongue, the Bible said, you'll rein that whole body in. Amen? And I need to rein some of my body in. You pray for me and my tongue, would you?